This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen with me, Rebecca Minkoff. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you about the giveaway we're doing for Reshma Sujani's new book, Brave Not Perfect. This book is inspired by her popular TED Talk and shows us how to break free from the trap of perfection and rewire ourselves for bravery. We are giving away five copies. This is how it's going to work. Take a screenshot showing that you've downloaded, rated, and reviewed Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. Put it on your story. Tag me. I'll be going through it as they come in and picking out a couple of lucky winners. So get cracking. Today's guest is Brooklyn Decker. We talk about how she went from a model to literally running a tech company that serves up a much needed dose of fashion from our own closets. It's called Finery. If you haven't heard of it, definitely check it out. And how she had to overcome a lot of stigmas that came from being a model to then running a business. I love hearing from you, and occasionally I'll ask you questions about what you want me to ask my guests. Those of you who have answered, I am asking them over the course of several interviews with different guests. This next one is from at Kelly X Christie, and she wanted to know, what do you do for encouragement or to be motivated? Well, we have your answer. At least it's from Brooklyn Decker. Take a listen. So I am with the fantastic Brooklyn Decker, who I've had the pleasure of meeting in her, I want to say, phase three of life, uh, career-wise. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rebecca. Nice to talk with you again. So I would love for you to give a little bit of a backstory uh, for those that have never heard of you. Okay, so I started as a model in New York when I was 18 years old. I moved there from North Carolina, and that was in 2005. And I really missed college. My friends were all in school, and so I started studying acting because at the time, you couldn't really do online courses, and I was traveling a lot, so I couldn't go to school full-time. So I started studying acting really just to have something to study and read, and I fell in love with it. So I started acting then, and then I sort of transitioned into entrepreneurship about two and a half years ago with a launch of Finery, which is basically the clueless closet on steroids. But the funny thing with film and television is, I mean, I, I'm on a great show, Grace and Frankie on Netflix. It's wonderful. It provides job security. But at the same time, you know, you're at the mercy of someone else just thinking that you're right for a job. There's no, it's the same with modeling. There's no sort of like hard work equates to success. You know, there's none of that. And that became really challenging. And so I wanted to do something that I sort of could take ownership over. And that was kind of the genesis of Binary. So I would love to go back because you went from being a model and then an actress. And I feel like there's a, you know, we already have complicated relationships with our closets and fitting into clothing. Did you ever go through or struggle with any body image, whether it was acting or modeling? And how did you sort of come out of that or embrace it or get through it? I totally did. I mean, fortunately, I I never got to a place where I had an eating disorder or body dysmorphia. But I think when you are any woman, but especially, you know, I started when I was 14, so a teenager, and you're told as a size four at 5'10 that you're too large, or you go to a shoot and they duct tape your breasts down, or they tell you to lose five more pounds or whatever it is, I think it definitely, I know it definitely affects you. And so 
I was really affected by that. And I also was modeling at a time. I think now it's so much better. I think fashion in general, and I know you can speak to this, has gotten so much more inclusive. And thank goodness, like it is, it's about time. And so I think now it's a really beautiful time to be in that industry. But when I was modeling, it was like you had to be a hanger. It was all about sort of that way Eastern European thing was really popular at the time. And that just wasn't me. I came in with breasts and curves and I was American and I had a loud voice and I just was not trendy at that time. Like my state of just being, my state of self was not trendy. And so I remember my dad and I actually having a discussion and he was like, look, you're never going to be that. He was, you're athletic, you're bubbly, you have all this energy. Like, why don't you just lean into that best version of yourself? Like work out like an athlete and be the best version of that that you can be. Stop trying to make yourself something that you're not. And that was a really nice moment because it sort of allowed me to for not forgive myself, but sort of surrender to who I was and really appreciate who I was and maximize who I was instead of trying to be something I wasn't. When you transition then to be an entrepreneur, um, obviously that's, you know, when most people think about starting a business, there's a whole other set of factors or intimidations or fear. How did you approach that? And what got you through it? <laughs> it's funny. I think the fear is still there. You know, we're raising for a series A and the fear is still there every day. And I think that's actually a good motivator. I think, you know, at times the fear can win and that those days are hard, right? Those days when you're like, gosh, are we ever going to make it? Are people going to sign up? Are people going to use this? Those days are definitely hard. But I think those are also, they really fuel you. And I think for us, we really built a product that was based on being a service for women and saving them time and money. And I'm someone who I'm wearing a million different hats. I think most women are these days. And so to be able to create something that you think is genuinely helping women, that is almost motivation enough. You know, like it didn't, I didn't feel like I had to hit certain margins. I didn't feel like we had to, you know, I'm sure you feel the pressure of like having to reach certain sales numbers every quarter. And like, we have the luxury of not having to deal with those obstacles. I mean, ours are different. We're, we're in tech. So it's a, the challenges are completely different, but I think it's really sort of liberating and motivating when you feel like you're, you're creating something that's really helping women. So tell for those who are listening, what Finery is. So you sign in with your email. That's how our tech works, and it's patented technology. And what we do is we basically created the clueless closet for you. So it's really ideal for online shoppers. You shop online. Anything you've purchased, wardrobe-related, from the last 10 to 12 years online, we pull into a wardrobe for you automatically. And we style you. We help you get dressed for the weather. We help you pack. We let you know when your items are going on sale. Basically, anything you would do with your wardrobe, finery takes over that process for you. So you start a new company. It's very much leveraged on technology. How did you have to approach that? And what did you have to learn in order to do that? I had to learn everything, <laughs> truly everything. Um, I, I, it's funny. I'm actually, for a tech co-founder, I'm not a really technologically savvy person. I'm sort of old school in my approach. I prefer old school communication. I just, my, my world isn't super tech friendly. But as I was saying earlier, like I am all about productivity and productivity hacks. And that's what Finery is. It's basically like we're spending more money on our clothing than our, than our education. And we're spending two and a half hours a week figuring out what to wear. So if we can get you some of that time and money back so that you can spend it on the things you want to be doing or spend that time with people you want to be with, that's valuable. And so for us, like I, I had to learn, I had to learn everything with tech. I had to learn how the back end work. I had to learn how to draw wireframes, which is essentially like what the screens are going to look like in app or on our desktop. I had to learn the business vernacular. I mean, the, as you're investing, the acronyms that they come up with, it's, it's like for men to confuse you. I swear one day I'm going to release like a, a glossary of business acronyms for any new entrepreneur just so you can study it quickly and know. Because I, 
I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but for someone who's just coming from film and television and had no business background or no tech background, like those are things they had to learn. So I definitely felt like I was sort of behind the curve as far as all of that went. But the cool thing about women specifically in tech and women in business is that they are so down to help each other. And so when we were practicing our pitch, we would practice with female entrepreneurs and they'd give us their feedback and they would say, use this term and use this acronym. And they, they really like gave us all these hacks to sound like we know what we're doing. We finally got to place where we do know what we're doing. And now I don't need that glossary and it has gotten so much easier, but it was a huge challenge in the beginning. I know. I feel like when I, when we began to do our first fundraise and I, you know, people throw out these, again, these acronyms and these abbreviations and you're almost like, well, I, I'm in the room, so I should know. But if I mm-hmm. show that I don't know, I'm going to look like an asshole. And so I'm yes. just going to pretend that I know. And you, you know what? Your glossary would be a New York Times bestseller. So I think that you should write that. <laughs> I'm going to, it's like, it's like LTV, all these things are throwing out and you're like, LTV, lifetime value. How do I know that as a huge stage company? I mean, there's so many things that, and like, wouldn't it be so much easier if they just said, what's your lifetime value as a company instead of like, what's your LTV? What's your hair? And, and it sort of can feel a lot aggressive sometimes. So you're right. Like you, you really do have to be on top of it. Even if like, for me, what I'm dealing with is like our actual users and our community and making sure the product is providing the services we want for our user. And so I'm sort of less on the tech side because I, I don't code. I'm not a developer. And so I want to be like, okay, I may not know what that means, but let me tell you what I do know. Let me tell you about our user. Let me tell you about the woman we're helping. Um, but, but unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but it's just sort of, you know, par for the course as an entrepreneur. That's, that's something you need to know and, and have a really good understanding of. So, you know, Rebecca, we can, we can write that glossary together and release it. Just you know, like for anyone fundraising or anyone that wants to become an entrepreneur, here you go. I'm taking, you up, cheat sheet. I'm taking you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you meet your co-founder and what did you look for in Whitney? Whitney Casey is your co-founder. I know that because mm-hmm. I know her. Yes. What did you look for in a partner? And for those listening, like what would be helpful to look for if they're starting a business and they want a, a spouse to do that with? I call it a spouse, your work spouse. It's your work spouse. It is. A sp- and, and sometimes you spend more time with your work spouse than your in real life spouse, which is really funny. But so for, for me, Whitney and I were friends long before we went into business together. Uh, we had a friend basically set us up on a friendship blind date because they thought that we would really get along and they were absolutely right. So she and I were friends for a long time. And I think something that was really cool about our friendship, it was sort of rooted in this brutal honesty and respect. You know, she and I have a common end goal for Finery, but we don't necessarily want to take a similar path, right? We have different approaches to sort of business and working with a team and, figuring out what's best for our users, like we have a different approach, but we want the same thing. We have the same goals for our users. We have the same goals for our products. And I think that's really important. It's like, do you have the same goals? Because I think if you have a different approach, that can be a huge strength. And I highly advise anyone who's thinking about starting a company or going into sort of phase two or phase three of their career, if it's something totally disparate from what you're already doing, I think having a co-founder is just a really great tool because when you are learning when you are going through that learning curve and when you're trying to sort of find your way in the startup life, I think it's really helpful to have a partner in all of that. And so for Whitney and I, it's funny, people say like, find someone who complements your strengths. And she and I, I actually don't think are very different. I definitely think we have a different approach, but just knowing that you have someone who wants the same thing and wants what's best and what you think is best is the same as what she thinks is best for the company you're going to be successful together. And so I think when you're looking for a business partner, like you don't necessarily have to find someone who has completely opposite set of values or a completely opposite approach. That doesn't have to be the case. I think you just have to want the same thing. What do you do when you 
don't get along. I mean, I my brother and I are very open. Like we fight sometimes. We go see a couples counselor a few times a year. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I love that. We, you know, we we do have this roadblocks and we disagree, and we're both very good at sort of surrendering to the other when we think that they are more passionate or or stronger in their convictions. So there are times when I am dead set on one specific thing with our finest community, our users, and Whitney will have a different opinion, but she'll see that I'm really steadfast in my opinion and my approach. And she's like, you know what? Okay, take this, own it, go with it. And same with her. If I can question her or question something with the product and she's like, nope, I'm pretty sure about this. I, I, I feel right about it. I'm going to move forward. And I think, I think we're really good at sort of giving each other that autonomy, you know, and, and a good thing with us is like Whitney's sort of taken ownership over retention in our product and I've taken ownership over growth. And I think sort of separating your duties, it seems like the obvious thing to do, but in the beginning, we both were so excited about all of it that we kind of had our fingers in every bit of the product and we actually became more efficient and the company was able to, able to grow faster and better when the two of us sort of took separate ownership positions because, Again, we're working towards a common goal, but I know that she is really, really focused on one part of the product and I'm focused on the other part. And that's just made us more efficient and more effective. So I'm curious to know, because when you do start your own company, it's a lot of you selling new people on the same idea over and over and you have to remain passionate about it. And I feel like sometimes I find myself like someone's like, oh, how did you get started? And I want to roll my eyes and I want to be like, (laughs) Google it. Um, But you have to find that same passion over and over again. What do you do to sort of keep that there? It's really about the users. And I think one thing that frustrates me is that because, so we're sort of space defining, like this product has never been created before. It's never been fully, like we've seen digital closets. They've never been automated. The items have never gotten in automatically without your manual entry. And so it's an entirely new product. And so it requires some education for first-time users. And that to me can be a bit daunting when you're trying to explain what it is that you're doing. Um, That can be really challenging. But for us, I think the cool thing is it is so new and it is innovative. And again, it's not like we're necessarily trying to sell new products. We're trying to help you and give you a utility tool. And so that is truly what keeps me going. I think people often confuse what we're doing for like an online shopping platform. You know, they think that we're trying to be, you know, a far fetch or a net or whatever it is. And it's like, no, 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 we're, that's not what we're doing. It look, may look like that, but it's actually your own clothes. So I think at the end of the day, like our user really sort of brings that home for me. They really kind of keep that, that motivation going because sometimes those days can be hard. But the cool thing is, is like when, and I'm sure you have this experience, when someone reaches out, a user reaches out, they send you a message on Instagram or they send you an email to your help email, whatever it is. And they're like, oh my gosh, this saved me so much money or this saved me so much time. Or one specifically, this woman was going to ask for a raise from her boss. And she's like, I went to finery and they helped me get dressed. And I felt really good about myself. And I got that raise. Like those days and those messages make all of it worth it. And when it gets really hard to keep going, they're there to kind of pick us up. So transitioning to more personal things, what I love about you is I feel like since social media started, you've always been very honest mm-hmm. uh, about <laughs> about everything from a pimple to where you poop. Mm-hmm. What was your approach to sharing all this? You know, some people who have a very public life want to remain private as much as possible. But what, what made you decide to go just all out? It's funny. I... I don't know how to be any other way. Like it just, it's certain people say like, what's your approach to social media? And, and there really is no approach. I just share when I feel like I want to share it. It's funny because I'm, I'm really candid with 
sort of my life, my experiences, but I don't post a lot, especially compared to sort of a lot of people in my position. I, I probably should post more. I think it would probably help me from a business standpoint. I'm never really deliberate. It's always just like, oh my gosh, this ridiculous thing happened to me and I feel like sharing it. And a cool thing, and I don't really think people realize, when Twitter came out in 2008, I was exclusively modeling. And at that time, I feel like Sports Illustrated was the only publication to actually put your name on your photograph in a magazine. So like for, for sort of all intents and purposes, you were merely a figment of someone else's imagination on a page, right? So like as a model at that time, you didn't have a voice. And so for me, Twitter was so freeing. <laughs> it's like, oh, here I am as a person. And it's not at all who I am on that page. Like who I am in real life doesn't at all represent sort of the model side of me. It's like Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. I always felt like the sort of modeling version of me was so far from who I was as a person that it was really exciting to share my real self on social media. And so for me, it's always been really just like freeing and liberating because I don't have to, you know, in film and television, like they make you look so perfect and you always have hair and makeup and everything's beautifully lit. And it's really nice to not sort of have those confines on a platform. And social media has been that for me. It's been an opportunity for me to just be who I am. And I think also it's really easy to be who you are naturally when you do get to have that sort of crazy, hyper-stylized side of yourself, you know, because people do get to see that and it's beautiful and it's great, but it's really exciting to kind of be yourself, if that makes sense. Totally. And how has being a mom changed you? Oh my goodness. It's like, (laughs) I feel like a different person. It has... First of all, I've said this before, but it has made me so aware of my mortality. Like, I never used to get anxiety when I was flying. I never used to get nervous with a new job opportunity. I could say yes to everything. I would be able to go anywhere on a whim. And now I'm so thoughtful and much more nervous as a person. I just feel like you become so sensitive to, like, the worst-case scenario in any scenario, which is really interesting. Like, no one told me that that was going to happen. Yeah, It's like you're a raw nerve walking out in the universe. And, um, and it's really scary at times, but it's also like having my son's three, my daughter just turned one yesterday and having a three-year-old, it's like living with a comedian. It's, it's, I mean, every cliche, every good cliche about motherhood is true for me. Um, it's so challenging and you constantly feel like you're failing everyone. I feel like I've definitely gotten harder on myself as a mother than I was before, but it's, it's the best thing in the world. This is not the balance question because I don't believe in balance, but (laughs) Agree. <laughs> totally agree with that. How do you prioritize your time and or how do you how have you explored your boundaries of when you're working or when you're being mom or maybe you're being both at the same time and wife, all, all the things? All the things. It's funny that you asked that because I recently had a question about self-care. They're like, what do you do for self-care? And I said, I think self-care is bullshit. And the same goes for balance and sort of doing it all. And and the reason I say that is because I think self-care is incredibly important. Of course it is. But I also think that right now I'm in a phase where I'm still acting full-time. I have a company. I have two tiny children. I have a husband. I have a life. And frankly, it's chaotic and it's not balanced. And at any given time, I could be failing any specific person in that sort of formula. But it's a time for chaos in my life. And that's okay. And and what I'm saying to the self-care thing is, is like, it's okay to lean into the discomfort of that, right? Because with any sort of change or growth, it's uncomfortable and you don't constantly have to be sort of taking a step back and saying, what am I going to do for myself? Because I think when I started thinking about self-care specifically, I was like, gosh, so now I'm failing myself too. Like now I'm not taking, that's one more thing I'm not doing in the checklist. And so 
as far as balance goes, I don't think I'm even there yet. I don't think I found that balance um, for work and like making time for work and children. I am really lucky that I don't have to go into an office every day. I work remotely. And so because of that, I get to spend so much more time with my kids and a lot of my friends who have to work nine to five. But for me, like finding that sort of balance is, is figuring out how to make sure that I'm hyper-focused when I'm with them. And then when I step away from them, I'm hyper-focused on work. It's just about compartmentalizing, which is challenging, but that's sort of what I'm looking at now. So I'm not doing it successfully yet, but I'm getting by. I really like what you said about self-care because I'm also in the throes of like little people needing me. And I was like, you know what? I I think that self-care will be something I'll explore when they're teenagers and they hate me. Totally. I love that. (laughs) And I totally agree with that. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine actually was like, you know what you need to get a dog? We have two dogs and and they're both one's specifically very old and they're both kind of getting old and we're talking about, should we get another one? And she's like, no, you know, when you get a dog, you get a dog when your kids are in high school because you just need one creature in the house to love you when you come home from work. And so I think it's the same with self-care. Like once they're teenagers and they hate us, then we can focus on ourselves a little bit more. Exactly. And then we'll worry about um, our skincare routines and dyeing my hair. Not every six months. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Amen. sister. So I'd love for you to talk about, I'm not going to say one challenge because we've all had more than one, but like a challenge that you felt really changed by and what you did to either overcome it or not. Well, that's interesting. You know, this is going to sound um, like it wasn't a challenge, but it really was. So I, and it kind of goes back to the self-care and delayed gratification thing. I was really lucky that when I was pretty young, I think I was maybe 20 even 21, I got all these, I got three big sort of film projects in one year. And that sort of propelled my career very fast, very early, very young. And that was before I had a chance to really like study acting specifically and really sort of, um, I hate this term because I think it's overused, but it's like hone my craft. I, I didn't have that opportunity because I got these three really incredible film opportunities. And what happened was I sort of created a world where I was making all of my mistakes on a really big stage. And that kind of screwed me for a couple of years because after I did that and I didn't really perform the way that I I could have or should have, I had a really hard time sort of rebuilding credibility and specifically the film and television industry. I had a really hard time trying to rebuild that credibility. And I wish that I would have taken a step back and said, you know what? Yes, these are great opportunities, but I want to make myself the best version of me that I can before I take them. And it, it was years of really like trying to crawl back in and like doing our appearances and doing little TV shows and doing failed pilots and doing all these things that would sort of like reestablish credibility in that career. And I think it was a really interesting takeaway because I think generally speaking, we can get so excited by opportunity and we can think like, if I miss this boat right now, I'm never going to get it again. And I understand that, but I also think there's a lot of value in making sure that you are 100% ready when that opportunity strikes. And I wish that I would have done that. I wish I kind of would have taken a step back early on and been wiser about my decision-making and made myself better before taking these big films because I think I would have had sort of more sustained, high-quality career choices to make later, if that makes sense. Totally. Yes, I know. I I always tell people, like, when we make a mistake now, it's a really expensive mistake. It's not like, oh, you you chose the wrong thread color on, you know, a thousand garments, not 10. You're exactly right. (laughs) Like, making those mistakes on a small stage is, gosh, it's such a gift. And if anyone has the opportunity to do that, take it. Yeah. Take it because by the time you hit that big stage, metaphorically speaking, literally speaking, you're ready for it. Yeah, 
Totally. So one thing I like to ask all my guests, and since you're so open and sharing, um, I'm hoping you give me a good one. Something that people would be surprised to know about you. I, I share lots of embarrassing things. I'm trying to think of one right now. Uh, mm. I too had my boobs duct tape when I moved here and I thought I wanted to be a model and someone was like, you're, boob- uh, you're, you're a D, so we got to tape this stuff down. Uh, and then, isn't that brutal? It's brutal. And then when you remove the tape, guess what happens? Like, so does your nipple come off. Your nipple comes off. It's, <laughs> it's skin, not fair. It's, it's like you've shaved your nipple skin. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I went through the exact same experience multiple times. And it was, yeah, I mean, it's that whole business. I, again, I think it's so much better now because I think now models have a voice. And if something like that happens on set, they can actually call people out. Like there's just more accountability now. But oh my gosh, it's crazy some of the stuff people got away with. I know. Back in the day. I know. Um, one thing people would be surprised to know or one thing they don't know. Okay, this is not really about me, but this is something specific that I feel like no one talks about and I think I should. And you're giving it the platform to do it. Tell us. After birth, okay, after you give birth. Yes. The experience your body goes through and the amount of bodily fluid that comes out of you for the amount of time it comes out. Yes. And like just the bruising and the healing and the swelling and the bleeding and all of it was so shocking to me and was like my deliveries weren't difficult, my pregnancies weren't difficult, but my recovery after birth was so shockingly brutal that I kind of want to like anytime my friends are pregnant, it's I'm the worst one because I'm telling them like all the bad stuff. But I tell them like, you need to know this. This is... This is something you need to physically and emotionally and mentally prepare for. That was really, really, really crazy. So that's not really like a thing that characteristic people don't know about me, but that's something I think that women go through that no one actually talks about or no one shares with each other. And frankly, like we need to share it with each other because we need to prepare. So, so my like post-birth experiences both times were exceptionally brutal. Like I was bleeding from every part of my body. I don't even know how that was possible. <laughs> like I bled, I'm like, I told Andy, I was like, I don't know how with this much blood loss, I haven't completely passed out or died. I know. It was crazy. I know. Um, but no one talks about that. I'm sure that's not what you're looking for. No, but, no, no, but, it is because I, uh, next to fashion birth is actually my favorite subject. And I follow all these crazy birth. They're not crazy, but some people think it's crazy that like on my Instagram feed at any point in time, there's a woman giving birth. Oh, I've watched all the videos. Yes. I'm right there with you. Yes. Yes. I, I, I will say I I always warn my pregnant friends and they sort of back off in horror. It's like they don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you just you could also write another glossary or a little succinct Cliff's Notes on Afterbirth. Could be your next yeah. book. Yes. I, it's funny. I actually, when my friends are pregnant, I send them recovery kits. So like I get the hormone pads and the pads and the witch hazel and like the spray bottle to spray yourself because you can't wipe. Like all the things no one tells you, I build like a full recovery kit and send them to my friends. And I always tell them, I'm like, don't open this before you deliver because it's going to scare the shit out of you. <laughs> but the second you get home from the hospital or wherever you give birth, open this box up. It's going to be your best friend. Because again, like no one tells you, no one warns you. So I'm, I'm right there with you. All I can say is two words. It's called frozen diaper. Oh, yes. I, yes. I did it with pads, but yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. All right. My last question for you, which is actually from a listener. Um, I like to pepper those in now and again is that. what do you do to be encouraged or stay motivated? I, it, it, staying motivated is not that hard for me. I feel like I'm a pretty big workaholic. And so just being busy is something I really crave to stay encouraged though. What has been the most encouraging for me is hearing other people's failures. And that sounds terrible, but but 
hearing other people, like I actually heard someone who is the head up of a very big company that recently went public. And she said to me that she had a big meeting in San Francisco and the person canceled the meeting last minute. Like she flew in from London to go to this meeting and they canceled last minute. And I said to her, I said, you know what? That's horrible, but I'm so happy to hear that, that at your size, and that's, again, their company just went public, at the size your company is that people still cancel meetings on you because it makes me feel so much better about myself. And like, I think if people were more open about their struggles, especially as entrepreneurs and the struggles that their company faces, the challenges they're dealing with, I think it would make your challenges so much easier to face because you don't feel so alone. And so for me, like what is, has really been encouraging both sort of on the, the acting side of things and also on the business side is just hearing people's players. I mean, you, you talk to big, big actors and they talk about all the roles they didn't get or all the auditions that are going on that they're not booking. And you're like, you still have to audition? You're still not getting roles? And it just, again, it's never a good thing that they're not getting those, but it just makes you feel less alone. And so... I implore anyone who's dealing with anything, find someone in that space, right? And find and really ask them to be honest about the struggles and the challenges they're facing because it'll help you get through yours. Love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. That was Brooklyn Decker. I love her incredibly raw, authentic, just commitment to being who she is. I think that's not often done enough and really find it refreshing. I hope you enjoyed And don't forget to rate, review, email, wherever you can listen, whatever you want to do, contact us and uh, send us your love. Thanks again for listening. This week's review is from Jing Jing Jing. Listening to the stories shared by these great females make me rethink about who I want to be and what I could do. So inspiring. Well, Jing, I hope you go out and do it. Thanks for listening.